Well, Keystone Church, good morning. It's good to have you joining us online. Today is the 15th time that we have engaged with you uh, in your homes with this type of medium. And uh, I I am glad that you've chosen to participate in this way. Uh, But we're also looking forward to being able to regather in person in just a few weeks. Um, Beginning, actually next week, we will start to live stream our services. uh, Next week at 10 o'clock. And then on the 12th, we'll regather at the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, and the 1035 uh, hour on in person and online. And so if you've been uh, looking forward to joining back and you're ready to come back, uh, we would love to have you join us uh, on that Sunday morning. If you're still feeling like it's not quite time for you to come out, we totally get that and we are glad uh, for this way that you can continue to meet with us. Our thought would be, uh, as we move through the summer, uh, that we would start to see more and more people showing up in person. So uh, as we get ready for this morning's worship service, I want to pray for us, uh, and I invite you to be praying as well, believing that the Holy Spirit works, uh, whether we're all gathered in one room uh, or whether we're gathered uh, across uh, the county. So would you pray with me? Father, we turn our face to you, uh, looking to you uh, to be the author and perfecter of our faith, Uh, looking for you to reveal yourself this morning, that as we unpack uh, one more time in this series of Rethinking Suffering, that you might highlight for us um, maybe the the purpose behind it uh, and how uh, we as believers might be able to respond to suffering in a way that would be for your glory and the good of the church. Lord, I pray that these songs would remind us of your faithfulness and your goodness and your love, uh, that the words might give us hope for the future, and that in this all that uh, that you might be glorified. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be uh, back together with you again. We are excited about having our first public service on July 12th. And uh, so just a couple of more weeks of recording like this. And, uh, and then we go uh, live stream, authentic live stream, where you'll be able to actually watch the service uh, from your home for those of you who um, would prefer to stay at home or feel uh, less comfortable about getting together yet. Uh, we are excited about that date coming up. We're going to wrap up our series today on rethinking suffering. And one of the things I've been pondering the last couple weeks as I've been preparing for this is how experience makes a difference. Experience makes a difference. And you think about your own life and the things that you know well, your job, uh, parenting, uh, there are things that you have some experience in now. one of the things that I loved as a pastime for most of my adult life was deer hunting. And um, I just anticipated the fall every year, whether I was out with a bow or a rifle. Uh, always looked forward to it. I didn't like the cold weather, but there was so much else about hunting that I just loved the entire experience. Uh, that's changed for me. Some of that's because of uh, arthritis in my hands makes it difficult just to handle the gun. Uh, and the cold as well. And I'm frustrated at the lack of deer there are in our state game lands anymore. But something else, another experience has influenced my former love of hunting. It was about eight or nine years ago. We had finished the third and final service on a Sunday morning. This was when we were still uh, at our other building across the street. 
and I was walking back to my car, which I had parked across uh, Peckway Drive, and I was in the middle of the road when I just thought, you know, I feel so weak and fatigued. I don't know if I can make it across the road. You know, and how your body plays tricks on you sometimes, and my body was playing a trick on my mind that I should sit down in the middle of the road. And thankfully, my sane mind won out, and I kept walking. But I slept that afternoon, didn't do much the rest of the day. In the evening, uh, we noticed a red spot developing on my leg. Didn't connect that with my fatigue until the next day, and I got up, and on my leg was now a red circle, about like that, white skin with inside it, and then another red circle within it. And by the time I got to the doctor that afternoon, that circle was uh, almost five inches across, and he looked and smiled, and he said, well, that's not too hard to diagnose. You have Lyme disease. And put me on antibiotics, and in two days, I was feeling spectacular, uh, at least compared to what I had been. Turns out that I'd probably been bitten on Saturday. I was actually in the woods gathering up some sticks for a sermon illustration and was sitting with these sticks in my lap, breaking them and, and uh, putting them in little bundles for an hour, hour and a half, and assume that the tick came out of those sticks and bit me. That experience changed my thinking about hunting, because in the woods there are ticks everywhere. Uh, Pennsylvania, for 20 years, has been the state with the highest number of Lyme disease cases in the entire nation. And so I'm just mindful of that. You know, our kids sometimes, our grandkids sometimes come in from playing and they have ticks on them. And so every time I'm out in the woods, I'm sure to wear a ball cap. I prefer to have a sweatshirt on, all because of that experience. Small things, great things experience matters. With all that we've been experiencing our, this last <clears throat> month uh, in the wake of uh, a police killing of uh, George Floyd, uh, there's been a lot of uh, hostile and uh, frustration across the races about what's taking place and what has taken place. And one of the things that I'm most convinced of is that for those of us who are white, that we would do well to expand our circle of acquaintances and friends who are black. Because until we actually sit down with them and hear from them an, an experience that we could never have, what it's like to be black in America, that we won't really understand some of the pressing frustrations. Experience can make the difference in a thousand things. And as we've been talking about suffering, Today we want to talk about our suffering being used to comfort other people. Experiences can make the difference. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses this morning. The title of my message is Comforters Made from Suffering. And I don't mean comforters as in the bedspread that you have on your bed or, or a, a blanket. I'm talking about people who comfort other people. Comforters made from suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're just going to read verses 3 and 4 this morning. If you look at the uh, uh, conversation questions, discussion questions at the end of the sermon notes, you'll find that um, I ask you to read from 3 through verse 11, but we're going to just focus on verses 3 and 4 this morning. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Let's pray. Father, the people that are praying with me right now around this country, even around the world, uh, we have this in common. We either are suffering right now with something we have recently or we soon will. As we said the very first Sunday in the series, that is the human condition. We live in a world that is reeling under the curse that you placed on it because of our rebellion as human beings. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve by, by every, uh, or by so many words out of our mouth, by so many actions, we confirm that we are not just the descendants of sinners, but we ourselves are indeed sinners. And so we suffer. And even though the duration of our suffering might be different from others, the kind of suffering might be different uh, from others, nonetheless, we, are, we are, have this common bond in that we suffer. And, and as Paul says in Romans 8, we're groaning with, under this um, burden on our shoulders. We're groaning until the day comes when the curse is broken once and for all. And those, those of us who know Christ um, get to see the fullness of our inheritance, and we long for that day. But the Bible doesn't portray a picture of just kind of endure, and that's the best you can do. As we talked about the other week, there is the freedom, even the invitation, to pray, to be relieved of our suffering. And as we're going to, uh, as we're going to talk about this morning, we have the opportunity, as having been sufferers, to bring the comfort you've brought us to other people who are suffering. God, open our hearts that we might receive a commission that you've laid upon us. Um, I pray that we would not just turn our eye, a blind eye, to the suffering of others, but see in them part of our call to ministry. We pray against the enemy who loves when the church is ineffective, who loves when the church, people in the church, we, are, we get preoccupied with our own things and neglect the, the suffering and hurts and needs of others. And I pray, Father, for a clear call today. I think there's going to be some things that will surprise some of us. And so I pray just for a kind of open heart to the spirits and the scriptures, nudgings and clarifying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have two points this morning, one for verse 3 and one for verse 4. Verse 3, God comforts his suffering children. Or maybe simply say, it is God who comforts his suffering children. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. God is our merciful Father. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, the merciful Father, our merciful Father. What 
does that mean? That little possessive pronoun refers to whom? Is God the Father of all people? As we see sometimes people argue in blog posts or letters to the editor, after all, we are all God's children. Is that the case? Or is our, the word our, more narrow focused than that? I, I think I'm right on this. You can check me out. I don't think there's a single verse in the Bible that says that all people are the children of God. Paul says, for example, in his conversation with the philosopher elites of his day in Acts 17, the, the men of Athens, he quotes one of their pagan poets and says, we are all the offspring of God. And Paul doesn't quarrel with that. And when you shift that to thinking about human fathers, that's normal. What we would say, uh, the son or daughter, boy or girl, who is an offspring of this man, that's their father. We think, the, we think certainly God is responsible for all humanity. He's the creator of all people. So doesn't that make him our father? No. In Jesus' conversation with the people, most of whom were critics in John chapter 8, they were talking about how Abraham was their father. And he said, no, no, no. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, these are people who have been created by God but they're not God's children. You are of your father, the devil. And as troubling as it is, the Bible seems to portray that we are all children either of God or of the devil. There's no middle ground. And how do we become, how does God become our father? Well, in verse three again, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we go down to verse 5, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So we are the father, or I'm sorry, we are the children of God if we are rightly related to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in other words, the gospel either makes our, either, either the rejection of the gospel confirms our identity as children of the devil or the receptivity of the gospel, we embrace the good news of Jesus Christ, put our faith in him, and that makes us the children of God now. So it's important not to miss that because not everyone can receive what's being discussed in this passage. Someone who doesn't know Christ will not receive the comfort of God that's being described here, nor can they then in turn pass along the comfort of God. It doesn't mean that there's not in some ways a, a ministration by God to them. Jesus says, after all, that uh, God makes the rain fall on both his children and the other children, both the just and the unjust, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And so there are some ways in which people can receive comfort from God in what we call common grace. But what's being described in this passage is exclusively for those who are the children of God as related to and through Jesus Christ. And so uh, the promise of this comfort and the commission of taking this comfort to others is all rooted in the gospel. He is our, our father. And he is the source of 
all comfort, the end of verse 3. He is the source of all comfort. Don't miss that word. And that's going to be especially important when we move to verse, uh, verse 4. We'll unpack that a little bit more. It's interesting how many times uh, Paul uses the word all just in these couple verses. All praise. Uh, he is the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Actually, there's another time that the NLT doesn't um, render it in this translation, but at the end of verse uh, 4, it talks about all kinds of trouble that other people um, find themselves in. So let me, let me move to the background of the man who's speaking to us here because one of the things that it's easy for us to uh, say to people when we're in the midst of suffering is, you don't know how I feel. You, you're not, you haven't gone through what I'm going through. You don't know anything about this. And we kind of write them off. So what was Paul's sufferings like? Because he's telling us this in the context of his own suffering. Uh, look at verse 8, beginning of verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And you might think at this point, wow, he's just overreacting. There's a lot of emotional pressure. Um, the boss is really on him at work. And uh, it's just, he's just feeling overwhelmed. And then he explains. Uh, we thought we would never live through it. So whatever he's referring to, and we're not really sure, there's maybe five possibilities of things that are written in the scriptures that could be what he's referring to. And then there's plenty of things that aren't written in scripture that Paul went through that he could be referencing. But he thought it was so bad, he thought that he might not live. In fact, verse 9, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now he looked back at this time with great gratitude and seeing it in a positive light, that it's stripped away their clutching, their gripping onto themselves, maybe the food that they could put on the table, the people they knew that might help them, help them out, and we turn to rely uh, exclusively on God who raises the dead. Now turn over to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. This book primarily was written by Paul to refute the, Christ, the Corinthian Christians' confidence in a group of men that Paul simply calls in chapter 11 super apostles. These were guys probably who could really speak well, and they were guys who were also critical of Paul because they knew he had suffered so much. And it was kind of an early form of prosperity theology, probably came out of Judaism, which had this idea that if good things happened to you, God was happy to you, and you weren't sinning. If bad things happened to you, God was unhappy with you and you were sinning. And so they looked at all these bad things that happened to Paul and they go, we're not even sure he's saved or we're not sure that he's an apostle. And so a lot of this book is Paul's defense of his call by God to be an apostle. But listen to what he says in chapter 6, beginning of verse 4. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, we've been put in prison, we've faced angry mobs, we've worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. 
We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. That's chapter, let's just say that's chapters one and two of Paul's biography of what he's gone through. Here's chapters three and four. 2 Corinthians 11, beginning of verse 22. <clears throat> Again, he's comparing himself to these super apostles. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder. I have been in prison more often. I have been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long during many, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. This is a man who knew the extremities of suffering, perhaps like no one else did. I remember years ago when I was driving truck for a living, all the truckers would gather inside a, a lunchroom and we would tell stories about things that had happened to us that were awesome or that were awful. And it never failed. This one man I'll call Greg. When we were done, he, he would start out, you think that's something, and then he would tell a better story. Can you imagine being in the room with Paul, having him describe what his life was like, and then say, oh, Paul, will you think that's something? Let me tell you my story. And yet, despite all of this suffering, Paul believed that behind it all, was a loving God who ordained suffering. You can find this numerous places in Paul's writings. One of the most uh, explicit is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, where he says that God works out everything according to the purposes of his will. There's not one thing that happens in life, not one thing that exists in life, not a virus, not poverty, not loss of job, not loss of child, not loss of esteem, not loss of money, uh, not loss of sight. There's nothing in life that God has not passed on as approval. Despite the fact that nothing in the scripture says that he's, well, James 1.13 says he can't be tempted and he doesn't tempt anyone else. In the big picture, in some mysterious way, God ordains all that has happened but is not responsible for evil, is not the author of evil. And all of these suffering things usually come to us through secondary causes. 
And even knowing that behind this all, that God stood, or rather sat on his throne, Paul found him to be the comfort. That God's mercy brought him comfort in all of his suffering. Now the question is, what does that look like? What did that look like? What does that look like? And that takes us to verse 4. God comforts his suffering children through other sufferers. God suffers, uh, God comforts his suffering children through other sufferers. And we should say through other sufferers who are his children. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't receive some measure of comfort from someone who's not a Christian. But the kind that Paul is talking about here is not necessarily what they would bring, is not what they would bring to the table. The, the, um, the argument of this verse is that we suffer, we who are Christians, we who know Christ, we suffer and then we are comforted by God's mercy. And then that comfort that we've received, we then pass along to other children of God who are suffering. Now he says that this comfort, uh, back again in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says that this comfort, he comforts us in all of our troubles. He comforts us. So before we get to other people, let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. He comforts us in all of our troubles. And again, the end of verse 4, as I said, there's another all that the NLT doesn't include. It says, when they are in any kind of trouble or any kind of affliction, I think the ESV says. Uh, and so even though the context here primarily is persecution for the sake of Christ or uh, the things that Paul has had to endure because he's a follower of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Christ, it's not limited to that. In other words, the suffering that we endure is not limited to suffering because we follow Jesus Christ. And the suffering through which we help, uh, in which we help others is not just if they are suffering because of the gospel. All troubles. And so that means that we can insert our own situation here in this text, whether it is I'm the victim of an unjust lawsuit or whether I have tested positive for COVID, or, <clears throat> excuse me, or whether I have just buried a loved one, or if I've just been fired from my job, or we've just had a, a miscarriage, we can find ourselves in this text. He comforts us in all of our troubles, any one of these things, or many others, so that we can comfort others. In other words, it's not just being comforted for so that I can have a better day. So somebody comes to me or calls me at the end of the day and say, how was your day today? I say, well, it was better. God brought his mercy to me. No, no, no. Part of the reason that he is comforting you is so that you now have a bank out of which to comfort others, that you have an experience out of which to comfort others. Now, what does this mean, though, when we pass God's comfort along? Because that not that what he says? He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled in any kind of affliction. We will be able to give them comfort. Is that what the text says? 
I've, I've deleted a number of things, haven't I? We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So we're not going to just give them any kind of comfort. We're going to give them the same kind of comfort that God has given us, which is what? What is that? What, what kind of words is, are, are they? What, what kind of actions is the comfort that we pass along that we have received from God? Is it simply a pat on the back? You're going to get through these days. Things are going to get better for you. Or is it, I'm sorry to hear that your daughter left her husband. Just really sorry about that. That, that must really be rough for you. Is it uh, you sign up on the meal train and you bring someone lasagna for dinner after they got home from the hospital or they're going, their family's going through a real difficult time right now? Could it be that you write even a sizable check for someone who needs money, maybe their car left them set and it turns out to be a, a far greater expense to either repair it or replace it than they have the resources for. And you say, you know what? I, I've got the money. I, I'm going to write you a check and I'm going to cover either most or all of the repairs on that car or I'm going to help you get into a new car. Is that the kind of comfort that God is talking about here? Uh, or to say things like, uh, I know the chemo is really tough on you, but just hang on to the thought that this is what's going to make you better. Is that what God brings to us? And is that what God calls us to pass on to fellow sufferers? Give them the same comfort that God has given us. I don't think so. These are all kind steps. They are, in some cases, they are optimism um, to say, and, and sometimes we are optimistic in a way that we shouldn't be because we might, to say, for example, to say, we know that God is going to heal you through this, that you're going to be healed after this chemo is finished. We don't know that. That might turn out not to be true. And, and sometimes we're just, we're saying things because we want them to feel better, to feel more optimistic. Sometimes we're uncomfortable when talking to people who are suffering. I've been amazed uh, over my years in ministry to learn how many people just don't want to be around folks who suffer. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. If they do go to a funeral, they want to be out of there as soon as possible. They don't want to have uh, any kind of extended conversation. Hear me well. I think that what Paul is describing here is not just goodies, a kind word, a, a hot meal, but he wants us to bring God himself into the suffering of other people's lives. He wants us to bring God himself into the suffering of other people's lives. You say, what does that look like? Well, let me, let me give you three things. Over the years, I've noticed a common pattern among not all, but some sufferers. And I might even go so far as to say the majority of sufferers who know Christ, I find this is true. 
they are reading their Bible less and less, or maybe not at all. Uh, some will tell me they, they can't pray right now. And some take a long time after a major loss to get back to church. Now, if God is going to bring, if God is coming himself into our lives in the throes of suffering, he's bringing his mercy. He's not bringing lasagna. <laughs> he's not bringing uh, words just to buck us up. He's bringing himself. And if that's what we've received, according to Paul, that's what we're to pass on. We're to pass on God himself. Don't misunderstand me. It's not that, it's not that we shouldn't say kind things to suffering people. <laughs> and please, by all means, keep those lasagna meals coming. You know, those are such a blessing to people. I just don't think that's what Paul's talking about. If he's talking about bringing God to people, these are the kinds of things that we are going to want to do. We want to bring the church to people. We want to bring the church to people. And so we things like meals and so forth, we're organizing those things to, for the body of Christ to bring along tangible things, um, for the body of Christ to have people stop in, check in from the compassion ministries or from their care groups, that we are going to utilize the church itself to bring the mercy of God to the suffering person. As I said, sometimes this is what the suffering person desperately wants to stay away from, but it's, but it's what they need. They need the body of Christ. Secondly, we want to, in bringing the mercy of God, we're going to bring prayer to them. There's nothing quite like prayer in the midst of suffering. And so let me encourage you, whether you take a meal to someone or you simply stop in to say hello and ask how they're doing, uh, or you provide them with some very practical help. I shared the other week how the Compassion Ministries were just such a blessing to me. Uh, I'm having more and more difficulty doing some of the things that I used to be able to do myself. And they, uh, some guys from the Compassion Ministries put a fence around my garden and they uh, keep the rabbits out and they cut down a tree. Such a blessing. But whether you do that or take a meal or, or simply stop with someone and you put the, your arm around them in the foyer of the church, once we can do that again, pray with them. Don't leave. After you drop off that meal, don't leave before you pray with them. Why? Because you're bringing the mercy of God that you've experienced, that you've been the beneficiary of, into their lives as well. Pray for them. And don't pray things that you don't know are going to happen. And say, God, we just claim, we just, we just believe that you're going to do X, Y, Z. You don't know that unless you heard a word from the Lord. Don't pray things that you don't know. But just pray things, simple prayers. Don't make it a long prayer. Make it 20 seconds or 40 seconds or, or 60 seconds at the outside. Say, Lord, just pray for my sister. God, help her. Uh, remind her through uh, many means that you've not forgotten her, that you love her. Uh, may she... Uh, uh, returned may she read her bible and and just be reminded of your promises and your comforts uh, lord i pray that you would fulfill the promise in her life that you will never care and take her through anything that you don't provide the resources she needs to go through 
that you will always be the sustainer and the equipper. Just some basics like that. Help her to know we love her. In Jesus' name, amen. So one, we want to bring, we want to bring the body of Christ, the church, to the sufferer in a variety of ways. Two, we want to pray for the sufferer. That's another foundational way to bring the mercy of God into their lives. And lastly, the Bible. Suffering people need to hear God speak to them. Suffering people need to hear God speak to them, even when, when there's times when we feel like God is distant and, and we're not even sure that we want to listen to him right now. We need to hear from God. Now, a caution here. Please be wise. Don't assume you know what they need to hear from God. Ask God. One of the most thoughtless yet common reactions on the part of people who are trying to help suffering people is to glibly quote Romans 8.28 at the wrong time. Now, God works all things for the good to those who love him, be called according to his purpose. Just buck up, hang on to that. You should know the person really well, and you should have been through their suffering with them for quite a while before you might ever get to that point. Learn some basic psalms that you would find that you think would be comfortable. Pray before you go to spend some time with that suffering person. Say, God, what would you, what would you want me to share with them? I've shared some bizarre texts of scripture already that I felt that's what the Spirit was leading me to, to share and, and let the chips fall where they may. If I think that's from the Lord, share it. Don't provide running commentary. Simply share a verse or two or three verses. Not a lot of scripture, just a little scripture to, because that's the voice of God, whether it's a verse or five verses, that's the voice of God in their lives. And even if it's not, if that's not the perfect verse for them that day, it might be three days down the road and they'll remember, oh, I remember when, when Kevin was at my house and he shared that, what was that verse? And I call him, Kevin, what was the reference for that verse? I'm gonna look it up today because I think God has something in that for me today. We have been blessed to bless, we have been saved to save, and we have been comforted to comfort. And I just wanna challenge you, will you accept that assignment? It's really uncomfortable for some of us to be around suffering people, but we don't get the luxury of saying, well, those people over there, they're good at ministering to people who are hurting, who are in need. If you have received God's mercy through times of your own suffering, you have been commissioned to take that and pass that along to others as well. Let me pray for us. That we would do that, Lord, would be my prayer. That we would, even this week, we would be so tuned to the Holy Spirit's promptings that we might carve out some moments in, um, in our day to make a phone call, go see the person if they're uh, fine with that visit, uh, that we would be just vulnerable to, to your, um, the prompting of your commission in our lives to carry along the mercy that we have been receiving and sharing that with those who are now suffering. Make us available, Lord, for your suffering servants. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, I hope this series on suffering has been of some help for you, and I hope that it will be usable for you with other people as well. Uh, if you print out the sermon notes today, uh, included in that is a list of resources. There are books there, there are podcasts, there are articles, uh, blog posts, and there's a whole list of scriptures there, and they're categorized. And I hope that'll be uh, of some help for you, encouragement for you. Um, and we long for the day, don't we, when this is at an end and we see Jesus face to face. But for now, we're in the trenches, suffering ourselves sometimes and ministering out of that suffering to others as well. God bless you. Well, thanks for worshiping with us this morning. There are five different ways that you can continue to engage with the content that you heard as well as participating in the life of Keystone Church. The first would be, uh, there's a small little button on the bottom of your streaming platform called Live Prayer, and there are people waiting for people to request prayer requests. And so if you are um, desiring to have someone pray for you about anything, would you please click that link and uh, engage with someone online? The second way is if you are looking for help during the season ahead, uh, we would invite you to go to keystonechurch.org slash compassion. And there you can either fill out a survey to help or uh, for help. Uh, Keystone is a body and a body cares for all of its members uh, one to another. And so we want to be a good, healthy, strong body. And so if you have needs and ways that um, you would love to have help, please reach out to us. The third way is to go to keystonechurch.org slash give uh, and set up either a one-time gift or a reoccurring gift. For those of you who have found uh, Keystone Church to be an important aspect of your faith journey, who have found the ministry of Keystone Church to be about helping you mature in faith and uh, care for you during times of difficulty, uh, and you want to partner with us in being able to do that uh, in a greater extent, uh, you can do that by going to keystonechurch.org slash give. The fourth way, uh, at the end of the sermon notes, Pastor Keith has been including some discussion questions. And those discussion questions allow us to continue to think and mull over, to meditate on the truth that, uh, that Keith would have preached in this sermon beforehand. You can do that uh, in your homes with the, the people that you have surrounding you. You might do it in a care group. Um, and, and the pastors are actually doing that during the week and shooting a video. Uh, it comes out either on a Tuesday or a Wednesday where we're engaging with how is the sermon continuing to interact uh, with our hearts and with our minds. The fifth way, as we look to um, move forward in reopening our buildings again, uh, we know that not everyone's going to be ready to gather, but for those who are ready, we want to know who you are uh, so that we might be able to have all of the volunteer needs met that we'll need to regather on Sunday mornings. Uh, the three big ones that are currently pressing as we move into live streaming our services would be camera operators, audio mixers, and video directors. If you have any interest, you might not have any uh, experience, but if you have interest, uh, we would love to be able to have a conversation with you. Uh, you can go to keystonechurch.org serve, and there's a little button on there that says serve now. Uh, click on that link. Uh, let us know how you'd love to help. We're looking forward to being able to see you in person, uh, and until uh, then, we're looking forward to next time.